0: On Sunday night we are teaching on prophecy.
1: Prophecy is about the is about the future and particularly about the end of time. I believe we're I've heard all these preachers all my life talk about the end of time. There's some things that have happened in the last fifty years that had not happened when I was a boy. Well, it began to happen when I was a boy in nineteen forty eight i was I was nine years old when Israel became a nation for the first time in twenty in twenty six hundred years. There's so much in the Bible about the end of time. there are some sister chapters you can read matthew twenty four and you will see basically the same words in Mark. Mark 13, and also in
0: Luke 21, and Luke 17. Luke 17.
1: These are synonymous, more or less, chapters, and the apostles come to Jesus and say, When will these things be?
0: And what will be the sign of thy coming? and of the end of the world. Now, most
1: people, a lot of preachers will try to argue and say that word world is the word ionos, A-I-O-N-O-S, and that only means an age. And they say, well, that's talking about this age that we're in. Well, ionos can mean an age, But it also has a meaning. Let me read to you here. Ion. Out of. This is out of. uh, Kittle's New Testament. Dictionary of Greek words. Ion. A-I-O-N. It means a prolonged time. Or eternity.
0: Eternity. And it means. From a
1: remote time to never. It also means sometimes there is a strong hint of eternity, especially true of the plural in Matthew 6 and 13. And I've got every time this word is mentioned, I've got it on a paper here. And this word ion is mentioned 128 times in the New Testament. It's also, it's the word world. Uh, it's the word beginning of the world. It is also the word in Romans one twenty five, Romans 9 and 5, Romans 11
0: and 36. It is the word forever. The, the apostles, there is
1: something called preterism. Preterism is, A preterite verb, p r e, p e r i t. A preterite verb in the Hebrew
0: is a past tense verb. It's something that happened in the
1: past. Now, there is a so-called doctrine called
0: preterism. Now, preterism, the preterists believe that everything that has to
1: do with the end of time has already happened in the past, and that's absolutely not true. There, I don't see Jesus having come already, you, have you? No, he, he hasn't come already, and you have the word forever and everlasting and eternal is this word pre- preterist. Now, uh, where people come up with this, they say that Jesus came back to the temple in 70 A.D. And when the Bible says, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. They say in 70 A.D. he came back and there was a flash of lightning in the temple. And that's... That was fulfilling as the lightning shines from the east to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. The way the lightning shines from the east to the west, it flashes all the way around the world. And every eye shall see him. Now, uh, preterism is insane because, mainly because God finished with the Jews when he came into Jerusalem, and he says over there, in he says over in, in
0: Luke 19 and in Matthew 21
1: that he blinded the eyes of the Jews. Blinded the Jews. If thou hadst known, he says, even thou in this thy day, the things that belong to thy... Uh, belong to you he says but now they're hidden from your eyes and you're blind and you can't see and then when he's crucified he comes in Jerusalem on the young colt of an ass in Luke 19 and in Matthew 21 and over in John and he comes in Jerusalem riding the young colt of an ass that was prophesied over here in Zechariah the ninth chapter Zechariah the ninth chapter we'll maybe even look at that And here's why preterism is ridiculous. They're saying that Jesus came in a flash of lightning in 70 AD because he wanted to give the Jews one more chance to believe him. They have no chance to believe him when their eyes are blind. Why would he come to the temple in 70 AD in a flash of lightning when he's crucified uh thirty eight years or thirty five, thirty four years before that, somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty five years before seventy AD, and when he was crucified, he was nailed to the cross nailed to the cross, and when he was nailed, he blotted out
0: blotted out all the rituals of
1: Judaism over here in the Old Testament—all that was blotted out. When I, I keep saying this, when a man wanted to do away with a contract, this was in their courts of law. He would take a—he would take the two witnesses out in public, have an agreement for, to the two original contractors. And he would say, is everyone ready? Are you prepared to invalidate this contract? They'd say, yes. And he would drive a nail through the contract. That would invalidate the contract, and it was no longer in in working. Well, the Bible says, it's the same way we would, we would use a notary stamp to put indentions into the paper. That would invalidate the contract. And Paul said in Colossians 2.14, Blotting out the handwriting of
0: ordinances, ordinances, the ordinances of what? Of the the
1: temple. All the ordinances as of the day that Jesus was nailed to the cross are blotted out. Now, what would he be doing coming to a temple in 70 AD to see if the Jews would believe in him? He'd have no reason to even do that because all of that was invalidated when he was nailed to the cross. What is the temple now? We are the temple of God. Then the law is written on fleshy tables of our hearts. There's two handwritings. One on tables of stone, the other on fleshy tables of the heart. Preterism is a goofy doctrine, and there are men, that, that thing has caught hold in churches all over America and it's an ignorant thing because Jesus is not coming to see if the Jews that he's got blind will believe in him, when his elect are the ones that he's working with in in this temple, which temple we are, and everything that was once literal over here in the temple is now spiritual in us because we're spiritual Israel. The law is written on fleshy tables of our hearts instead on tables of stone anymore the veil is the flesh the flesh is the bread the bread's the body this was called the house of God in here why is he going to come over here to a literal temple right before right before Titus the Roman general comes in and slaughters everybody and takes that temple down why would he appear there for no reason it's just outrageous when people talk about preterism because they know nothing about blotting out the handwriting of ordinances it's one thing So every ordinance of the temple would be blotted out. That would include the Passover lamb that was offered on the 10th day of the 7th month because the Passover lamb now is Jesus. The Bible says so in the 5th chapter of 1 Corinthians. The the candlesticks is the church. The table of showbread is the church. We being many are one bread and one body. and And the... Altar of incense is the prayers of the saints. Book of Revelation, the fourth chapter tells us that. The fifth chapter says, and instead of being washed in the in this brazen sea, we're washed in the blood of Christ. Instead of offering a lamb on this altar here, we give our bodies a living sacrifice daily. It's ridiculous to talk about preterism and how well, that's just everything that Jesus appeared and a flash of lightning in the temple what in the world does that mean it's ridiculous there are people said, well it, it, it happened in the past and I guess they think Jesus is not coming now I'm talking about the end of time let's go over here to Luke 17 this is a chapter that I haven't read much it goes along with these other chapters Matthew, Mark, Luke Matthew 21, Mark 13, Matthew, excuse me, Matthew 24, Mark 13. And sometimes one of these chapters will say something that the other chapter doesn't say. Luke 21, 24, 21, 24 is one of my favorite verses concerning the end of time and that says speaking of the jews they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations and jerusalem shall be trodden down of the gentiles until the times of the gentiles be fulfilled let me give you one other verse on preterism before i go on here look over at matthew 16. This is one of the verses they will use. In case you ever run across a preterist, you might need to know this. All right. Matthew 16, verse 28. Jesus is speaking to his apostles. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste death, till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. They say, see, his kingdom is Israel, and he's going to come back in 70 A.D., and some are standing here during his lifetime as, I put 35 because some say he died in 35 A.D. I don't know whether it was 33 or 35. But uh, they... I was getting into something. I forgot what it was. Uh, They say that he came back in this time here to make an appearance as a flash of lightning. Well, here in Matthew 16, so they're saying, Jesus is saying, there's some standing here that will not die until see Christ coming in his kingdom. But here's the point. What is the kingdom of God? Is it not Israel? And was not spiritual Israel birthed in Pentecost in Acts 2? In Acts 2, that's the birth of the church, spiritual Israel. So there were some standing there with Jesus that they wouldn't die until they saw Christ coming in his kingdom, which, where is his kingdom now? Luke 17, 20, and 21. Are you going to restore the kingdom, Jesus? And he said, the kingdom of God is in you. So if it's in us, people will see Christ in us. And the church was born in Acts 2. So when Jesus said, they used this verse to say, see, you see, now Christ is a, a You got to, there had to be some there that wouldn't die until they saw Christ coming in his kingdom, 70 A.D. Just, this is one of the most made-up stories I've ever heard. And some respectable men, I use that term loosely, believe this. In fact, if you can go over here to uh, uh, look at Matthew 10. Matthew 10. And... Verse
0: 23. And they use this verse to say this. Has any of you heard of preterism? It's a stupid doctrine. And some respectable preachers
1: actually have believed it. Look in Matthew twenty ten and 23. 10 and 23. But when they shall persecute you. In this city flee unto another, for verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man come. But when is the Son of Man coming? In Acts two, the birth of the church he's coming and birthing himself in us. I don't know why people can't see spiritual things. They're saying Well, you won't have gone over all of Israel until you see Jesus coming in 70 A.D. That's the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard somebody try to sell the public. All right, now. Now let's go back over here to Luke 17. Luke 17. This reads a lot like the 21st chapter of Luke. And when he, verse 20, when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, "Here's the kingdom over here." Here it is over here. here it is in Israel. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Same words as Luke twenty, uh, Luke seventeen twenty. Well, this this is Luke seventeen twenty. And he said unto the disciples, "The desire the days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days." of the Son of Man, and shall not see it. And they shall say to you, see here, see there, don't go to that. If they say the kingdom of God is in literal Israel, it's not, it's in you. For as the lightning cometh out of, the, out of one part of under heaven, and shineth into another part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must... He suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, and they were given in marriage. A given marriage means to marry one thing to another that don't belong together. I was studying the word Hallelujah one day back years ago, Halal, H A L L U J A H. Well, I'll get it right in a minute. Hal-lu-ja. Hallelujah. Hallelujah is a composite of Halal,
0: Halal, and Jah. Jah is short for Jehovah. Jehovah, halal, the word, when you look over here in the 14th
1: chapter of Isaiah. Look at this real quick, and then we'll come right back here.
0: Isaiah, 14th chapter. So you can see it. Look here at verse 12. This is talking about
1: the king of Babylon. It's not talking about the devil. In fact, the Bible says here in chapter 14, uh, verse 4, Thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon. The last king was Belshazzar, one of the most wicked, lascivious kings that ever lived. And then these words are spoken of Belshazzar. This word is only mentioned one time in the Bible. Verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Lucifer is one time in the Bible. It is not a reference to Satan. It is a reference to Belshazzar, the king of Babylon. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations. The word. Lucifer is the word. Hillel, H.E.Y.L.E.L. H E Y L E L, H E Y L E L. That's the word Lucifer. It means shining. It's the
0: shining one. And I got to looking up. Or to boast. I got to looking at
1: the only one that can boast or shine is Jehovah. This means the shining one is Jehovah. If you do not believe in predestination, then you are the shining one. And another word for this, another definition for this is to give in marriage. When you take the credit for what you're doing in life, you're the shining one. You are Lucifer, and you're taking credit, and you are marrying yourself to the glory that only belongs to God. You have no right to take God's glory. God said, my glory I will not give to another in the 26th chapter of Isaiah. I don't give my, I don't share my glory with anybody. So you cannot take credit for your talent, your brilliance, your wisdom, your ability to speak, your ability to be a sportsman, your ability to sing, your ability to, to play an instrument, your ability to be a good worker, your ability to make a lot of money. You can't take credit for any of it. You're giving in marriage. You're marrying yourself to God's glory. No one can do that. He said, I won't put up with it. That. That's why... He has to he has to, just deal with us severely until we learn to stop taking the glory. The glory doesn't mean you're just out there going, look at me. The glory is you saying, I want my way. I want to shine with my way. I want what I want. It's what I was talking about this morning. When you want what you want, and you don't care what the cost is, You're giving in marriage. You're taking God's glory when you think it's you that's doing
0: it. Because it's not. Now back over here to Luke 17. Verse 26.
1: As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage... Marrying truth to a lie. That was the sons of God marrying the daughters of men. Sons of God were the descendants of Seth in Genesis 5. Marrying the daughters of men in Genesis 4 are the descendants of Cain. And Cain's lineage does not go back to even Adam, much less God. Seth goes back to Adam, then back to God. Seth took the place of Abel. Now, let's read on here. "...until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded, they made a lot of money. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven... And destroy them all. Now some people will use this verse right here. To say. Well God took them out before the destruction came. So therefore he must take us out. uh, At a pre-trib rapture. That is dumb. That has nothing to do with this. We're going to be changed at the last trump. Besides that the church is going to be going under persecution. All the way to the end. The tribulation is going to get worse and worse and worse. Whoever's alive, at the very end of time, you're only going to have each other. I really believe the church is under an attack now due to the doctrines they're preaching in these churches, and they don't want any of us rocking their boat or turning their boat upside down. I expect one day for Congress or someone to meet, or somebody like like Trump wants to turn things upside down, they'll say we're going to get everybody to get along and we're going to put a, a new law in Congress and put at some addition to our Constitution where that you cannot put anybody down, you cannot say anything negative about anybody because we're all going to be Christians and hold hands together. And when they do that, they'll have to drag me out that door there because I will not stop telling the truth. And people don't want to hear that but that's the truth. At the end of time the world is going to make war on the church. I believe war has already been made on the church and it's being made in a domestic fashion like uh, we just want everyone to get along so we're going to have have uh, we're going to have this doctrine of tolerance uh where we can all get along. And have political correctness so we don't offend anybody. That's what political correctness is. Same thing as the doctrine of tolerance that they founded the Catholic Church on. Now let's go back here. We're going to be changed at the last Trump. And that's going to sound at the very end of time. Not, this is not a picture of that. It's a picture of the end of time. We'll be taken out. But people are going to die up on the earth that are Believers. In that day he that he shall be up on the housetop and his stuff in his house, let him not come down to take it away. He that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever lose his life, Jesus says in another place in Matthew 10, for my sake the same shall save it. I tell you in that night there shall be two men in one bed the one shall be taken and the other one left to be destroyed when Christ comes back in flaming fire for taking vengeance on all those that know not God that obey not the gospel that's going to happen one day might happen in my lifetime I don't know two women shall be grinding together the one shall be taken and the other left this is now the homosexual women the lesbians have said see they're going to be grinding together having a sexual thing together that is stupid it's dumb if you read any if you know anything about the women when they would grind the corn they had a nether stone and they had a stone on top of that which was a lava rock and one would hold the one stone the other would turn this stone and they would grind the corn talking about a sexual act it's some people are just idiots taking the word of God and just stretching it for their own benefit two men shall be in the field one shall be taken the other left people say what is he left for he's left to be destroyed upon the earth by the coming of Christ and that will be in a moment in a twinkling of an eye the word moment a a t o m o s. We get our word atom from that. They thought that the atom at one point was the smallest particle of matter. Well, it's not. We found out there's something called quarks, which are smaller, and we don't even know how to split the atom to that point. Uh, Quarks, the more you try to split them, the more they bond together. Now, and they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? He said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, Thither will the eagles be gathered together. What does that mean? There's going to be so many dead people upon the earth. There's not going to be enough funeral homes to take care of them. And God says in the nineteenth chapter of Revelation, when this happens, I'm going to call the fowls of the air. Look at look at that over there. Look over there in Revelation nineteen. Revelation nineteen. When he comes back, he's coming back with eyes as a flame of fire. The world has punched him in the eye. Israel is the apple of his eye. Apple is the word boba. It means pupil. And he said, whoever touches Israel, touches the apple of my eye, punches me in the eye. That's why his eyes will be as a flame of fire in this 19th chapter of Revelation. These verses used to scare the life out of me when I was a kid. And I had to grow up to realize this is our hope. This is the hope of the believer. Alright. So wherever the eagles are there there will wherever these bodies are, there will the eagles be gathered together. And he says here Christ is coming back in verse eleven upon a white horse. It doesn't mean he's gonna literally be on a white horse. A white horse was ridden by all of the heads or the head generals of an army and they would show up out in front of everybody else. And he that sat on him was faithful and true and righteous he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. Israel is the apple of his eye there in Zechariah the second chapter and whoever touches Israel punches him in the eye. And his on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that No man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now, that really amazes me. People say, uh, his name is Yahweh. Well, how about the Word of God? How about over there in Isaiah 9? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Which one of those do you want to use? Name, remember, the word name is the word onoma.
0: Onoma means authority. That is in the Greek. In the Hebrew, it's
1: Shem. Same meaning. It's God's authority. That is his word. That is the truth. That's the Holy Spirit. So the truth, the Holy Spirit, and his word are all the same thing. And his name is all the same thing. It just galls me to hear these people say stuff. They don't even know what they're talking about. If you noticed. Thou shalt have a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. It doesn't say his name is Jesus. It says you call his authority. The authority upon the earth. You can tell who God's authority is. He's this person walking around. And is and he's calling him Jesus. Jesus is not his name. His name is onoma authority his word he is the word right here isn't he if he's the word that's his name you don't have to try to figure out what god's name is i keep saying yahweh and jehovah the same thing
0: y e h w a h no excuse me y a h w-e-h there are no vowels in the Hebrew
1: language when you translate a yod this is a yod which is a y it's the smallest letter looks like a just a little quote that's a yod the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet when you translate it to English they translate it j so J H. WH and a W is the same thing as a V except for a vowel point. So Jehovah is Yahweh. Do with it what you want. I, people write to me and say, Jesus' name was Yahweh. No, it was not. He was a, living in a Greek world. His name was EASUS. E A S O U S. Iesus was his name, Iesus. He was living in the Greek world. Don't say his name was Yahweh. Even though Jehovah has basically the same meaning. name is is Jesus, it has the same meaning as Jesus. God saves, Jesus saves. Now, let me go back here. We're looking at these birds of the air. There's going to be so many dead people when Christ comes back with eyes as a flame of fire. And the armies which were in heaven, verse 14, followed him upon white horses. Don't mean they'll literally be on white horses. They had to use the words here instead of what we would use. I don't know how Christ will come back if it will actually be on horses. Horses was the way they went into battle back then. Your cavalry was the most formidable uh, an army that had only footmen couldn't stand up against these thousand horsemen. Uh, and he was clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. This is all allegorical language. He didn't have a literal sword going out of his mouth. The sword is the word of God. That with he, he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them. Smite the nations. Anytime you see in the Old Testament that God's going to come back and smite the nations, whether it's in Zechariah or in Isaiah, this is the picture of it. This is the fulfillment of it here. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. We're given a rod of iron in that second chapter of Revelation. Uh, Those that overcome, that's the... Those that overcome will get a rod of iron. Overcome. N-I-K-A-O. That is the word overcome. That's the verb form of victory. N-I-K-E. That's the word victory. And faith is the victory that overcomes the world. If you can't think figurative language, you can't even understand the Bible. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. That, all of these verses go together. If you go back, you'll see this winepress being treaded back here in chapter 14. You've got to know which verses to go to. And you see this back in chapter 14, the winepress is being treaded outside the city. Uh, If you look at verse 17, another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud, a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle. A sickle is for cutting down wheat, not men. So this has to be figurative language. Saying, thrust in thy sickle and gather the cluster of the vine of the earth. It's talking about the evil men of the earth. And for her grapes are fully ripe, and the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered uh, the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city. That's the same thing it's said over in Revelation 19. And blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse bridles. There's not enough blood in the world to fill up any valley in the world. Of all the people that ever lived, we have, what, five pints of blood in us, something like that? Does anybody remember? I think it's five pints. We, how much blood would it take to have a flood that's high as a horse bottles? Uh, hundreds of trillions of gallons. What this is talking about, it's going to be such a bloody battle that the blood will splatter up to the bridles of the horse, it don't mean there's actually going to be a river of blood in between these two mountains it's, you've got to think the way they're talking figuratively under the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs, now go back over here, we're talking about these fowls of the air, wherever the wherever the eagles and the birds are that's where judgment will be and uh, where was I? Chapter 19. Out of his mouth goes his sharp sword, that it with it he will smite the nation, shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. That would also be in chapter 16. That would be the Armageddon of chapter 16. When he's talking about, uh, Behold, I come as a thief. In verse 15, blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. i got a lot to say about that. don't have time. He gathered them together into a place in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial upon the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. Then you find a great earthquake. But the word earthquake doesn't mean a literal earthquake. Gosh, I got some notes here. What would I do with them? Uh, a storm was called. I may have to come back. I thought I had it. I laid it out. But the word sio. we we'll get the word earthquake from the word sio. Or seismos. S-A-I-O we get the word size S-A-I-S M-O-S
0: seismos or seismograph a
1: seismograph is a writing of the size
0: of an earthquake it was also the word tempest now, people who teach, teach
1: that these are literal earthquakes. There's one guy here in town who was teaching that the earth is going to be split up in three pieces and, uh, with the great earthquakes. The earthquakes are financial earthquakes nearly every time. all the earthquakes uh, the upheaval of the weather in, in the world? Because God's judgment has to do with the sword, the famine, the pestilence. And the pestilence and the famine has to do with weather upheaval. It's the weather, is, the weather is out of whack, whether anybody wants to believe that or not. This is not a Republican or a Democrat thing. It has nothing to do with Democrats or Republicans. I studied El Nino long before Al Gore wrote his book on trying to get the uh, people to quit buying suvs and big cars with big engines has nothing to do with democrats has to do with the earth is heating up the bible says so the bible says so here in uh, the 16th chapter when he's talking about the vials of judgment being poured upon the earth right here in verse 10 the bible says that there's going to be a heating of the earth i was looking up last night of the seventeen hottest years, that's been recorded in our history in America since we've been recording temperatures, the seventeen hottest years, sixteen of them have been since two thousand and one. We're getting hotter and hotter. How do they? How do they do that? You can sit and say, "Well, that's all and that's Democrats." No, it's not. It has nothing to do with Demo- Democrats and Republicans. Democrats are saying, well, the earth's heating up. We've got to do something about it. Let me tell you a secret, Mr. Gore. You're going to do nothing about it. Nothing. Because the judges of God are without remedy, aren't they? It's just going to get hot. And it's getting hot and hotter. What they do, they take 365 days on our calendar, 365 days, they get... The temperature every day in a year, and then they divide, they get the entire temperature, add it all up and divide 365 into it, and the average temperature per day, that's what they call the heat index. It's what it is when you average it out. We've had the 16 hottest years in history recorded since 2001. That's some heat. It's getting hotter, whether people like that or not. And that's what the Bible says right here. Verse 10 of chapter 16. The fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast. The seat of the beast would be the world where the beast is ruling. And his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. And the earth is heating. And Look down here in verse 8. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun and the power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. That's Heat's coming from somewhere and people will say, well, that's only, that's just a, a cycle. I don't care what's a cycle. Where there's chlorofluorocarbons, that's the little cans that they outlawed putting those chlorofluorocarbons in the cans. Remember when they did that some ten, fifteen years ago? Outlawed them, so you can't get the chlorofluorocarbons. That's hard to say. You can't get that in a can anymore because if it's not, if something wasn't happening, I ask, I ask a doctor who's the orthopedic surgeon. For the Titans. Burton Elrod, I asked him what I said, do we really have some problem with the ozone? He said, absolutely. He said, down in South America, on the very end of Argentina, there's a great big hole in the ozone. There's more cancer down there than anywhere per capita in the world. And and it's burning up. I started studying the El Nino factor back in the 60s before Al Gore was even out of high school. El Nino is a section, and this this is a part of prophecy. El Nino means the child in Spanish that's because it would come right about Christmas time for years. Now it comes all through the year, but they still call it El Nino, and it would come just about Christmas, and what El Nino is it's a section of the Pacific Ocean off the off of the coast of Venezuela it's a section of water out there if this is South America it's a section of water out here that's larger than the United States and the trade winds quit blowing out there at El Nino time
0: well, who stops the trade winds from blowing, I wonder. Maybe God, you reckon? In
1: all of this area out here, I don't look to what some, to what Al Gore wrote or what anybody else writes. I look to scientists, respectable scientists, and they will tell you, I've got a dozen books on El Nino and the warming of the earth, and it's not from Al Gore's perspective. The reason I say that, people say, Well, if you think the Earth's heating up, you must be a Democrat. No, I don't don't believe in any of them. But it's a section out here in the Pacific. and, uh, And without the trade winds blowing, the water is evaporating up here into the stratosphere. And when it evaporates up there, they have these wind currents that are blowing this all over the world. And it's causing havoc worldwide. Whether people believe that or not, it is. And it's causing droughts in Australia, floods in the uh, mid-America. It's causing droughts in California. The tinder is so dry out there in California, they have wildfires every year. All that has to do with El Nino. And it will either call droughts It'll play havoc with the. uh, I wish I'd have brought some of my books with me. I didn't mean to get into this tonight. But I'm absolutely sure the Bible says. God's going to scorch men with fire. You think that might be heat. But it doesn't kill them. And they're going to curse God for the heat. Well you and I are going to have to suffer along with it too. It's going to get worse and worse. The difference is. The Republicans say, It's no earth's not heating up. You guys are idiots. And the Democrats are saying the earth's heating up, but we can do something about it. You're idiots,
0: too. God's judgments are without, there is no answer.
1: Distress of nations with perplexity, aporia, no way out. No way out. So to the Democrats, I would say, you're wasting your time. And they'll say, well, this is just a cycle in the earth that warms. It don't matter what it is, who's doing it, whether man is doing it with his emissions into the, into the ozone or whether it's, whether it's a cycle. God's doing it all. What difference does it make whether men are causing the earth to heat up or whether it's God's cycle that's causing the earth to heat up? The earth's heating up. I'm not here to sell you on democratic uh, politics. I studied this before Al Gore wrote his book. And everybody thinks if you say that the earth's heating up, you're just a Democrat. I don't like Democrats. I don't like Republicans. I'm not ever going to vote for any of them again. They bring out a rattlesnake that's 10 foot long and bring out a king cobra and say, which one you want to crawl in bed with? This Republican cobra or this ten foot rattlesnake? snake. None thank you. Don't believe in these politicians. Now, where was I? So, he says the the Bible says here, God's gonna pour out his vow upon the earth and everything's gonna get hot. Does it say that? And men will scorch with great heat and blaspheme the name of God and they won't repent
0: and they'll curse the heat just what back to chapter 18 I didn't intend
1: to go this direction but here I am now look here and so wherever
0: the eagles are gathered together there's the judgment of God right
1: okay and he says here in uh, where was I He hath on his vesture, let me read 15 again, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. We see that sharp sword come out of the mouth of Christ, which is the word of God. If you can't get a hold of figurative language, you're just missing the whole point. That with it, he should smite the nations. He should smite, every time you see nation in the New Testament, it's
0: ethnos. And that word is also Gentile. And Gentiles
1: are not spiritual Israel. So God's going to smite the the unbelieving Gentiles. And you can be a Jew and be an unbelieving Gentile. He shall rule them with a rod of iron.
0: Same rod of iron. Look here Revelation, the second chapter. Second chapter. In verse twenty six, he that overcometh verb
1: form of victory, Nikao, Nike is the word victory, and keepeth my works unto him unto the end. To him will I give power over the Ethnos, over the Gentiles, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. That's us. The rod of iron is the word of God back over here to Revelation nineteen shall rule them with a rod of iron same rod and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of almighty God in chapter 14 and also Armageddon in chapter 16 and he hath on his vesture on his thigh a name written a name written king of kings now there's his name king of kings and lord of lords it says king of kings because he's got many crowns on his head in verse 12 What does that mean? I've given this to you before. King of Kings was a title that the Assyrians, the Romans, all these empires that ruled,
0: they ruled the world. Rome was over here. The Italian boot. Here's Italy. Then you got Greece here. Greece
1: here, right here. And then you've got the Adriatic Sea here, you got the Aegean Sea here, and then over here you got Turkey. Turkey.
0: And Rome ruled when they were ruling. Here's where King of Kings comes from. When Rome ruled
1: they allowed, if you lived in Asia or Macedonia in, in Greece, they allowed you to rule yourself as long as you walked the chalk line. When you didn't, the Roman legions would come over here and crush you. If you were in Israel, they let you rule yourself too, as long as you behaved. And if you were in Cappadocia, or Galatia, whatever your government was, they would allow Egypt to rule themselves with their pharaohs. Rome said they were kings of kings. Jesus said, no, that's me. I'm the king of all kings. So it says king of kings and Lord of lords. I'm the Lord over all the lords. That has an exact meaning. It's not some mysterious thing. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven. Christ is coming back. He's going to crush the world. The same time element here is the same time element as Second Thessalonians 1, 7, and 8. That he'll come back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all those that know not God, that obey not the gospel. If you're not obedient to death to self somewhere in your life, you're going to suffer the vengeance of God and be cast into hell forever. Come and gather yourselves together Unto the supper of the great God. He's calling all the fowls of heaven. Because there's not going to be enough funeral homes to bury them all. And there's not going to be any funeral directors. That you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains. And the flesh of mighty men. Because they're all going to be dead. It's not going to take Jesus any amount of time. Just a second and they're all going to die. He said you're all dead. That's it. He's not going to have to fight to pull out a sword and fight. And then that sit on them and the flesh of men, both free and bond, both small and great. I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against this Christ coming in the clouds. What are they going to do? Go out there with their missiles and say, Okay, men, on three we're going to fire one, two, three, everybody fire, boom, 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 boom. No, that's not what they're going to do. The way you attack a man, you attack his wife. They're going to attack the church. The church is going to be under fire. And they've already started it right now, and it's a political fire. And we're laughed at and made fun of, and people think I'm crazy because I'm saying Christmas is pagan. It's Christ's Mass. It's against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America. Look at it on the Internet. I told one woman that, and she said, Well, the internet's not always true. I said, well, I didn't learn that from the internet. I learned and studied in the Bible for sixty years. You want to be a smart aleck down here at Publix. And sat on a horse and against his army, and the beast was taken, and with him the false prophets that wrought miracles before him, in which he deceived them, that he received the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast kharagma. Mark. C-H-A-R-A-G-M-A. C-H-A-R-A-G-M-A. Every time you find Mark, this is what it is. It means authority. You receive the authority of the world beast system, but it doesn't mean somebody going to stamp you in the head or stamp you in the hand and put some computer chip. That's way outdated. We got DNA now. They have you they even have these these detective detection systems that can detect who you are by your face. And they don't need computer chips, like Jack Van Epe used to say in the hand. That goes back to the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, where the Lord says Serve the Lord with all your heart. Take God's law and put it put it on your hand. Put it before your eyes. Before the eye meant in the mind. Upon the hand meant wherever your hand went to to do the work of God. Put it by your bed. Put it where you walk. Put it where you lie down. It don't mean take a stamp. So if you have the mark of the beast, you've got it in your mind. Your thinking I want to live and survive, and I want what I want, so I'm going to get along with the world. It's not going to be everybody that's under attack, just the church, the few. They're not going to like people like us. And that's okay if that's what they want to do. I'll be glad when they come and get me and shoot me. I hope they just shoot straight, hit me right between the eyes. I don't want to survive and be a be a Vegetables. So just please tell me before you're going to shoot me. I'll put a bullseye right there, okay? Because I'm going to be absent with the body and present with the Lord, and I look forward to that. Now, the beast was taken, verse 20, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone and the remnant was slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse what is his sword his word coming out of his mouth which sword proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh so when he says that in luke 17 he says the same thing in matthew 24 look at matthew 24 If you don't want to be eaten by a bunch of buzzards and eagles and whatever else is out there, believe God, because you'll be a recipient of that if you're alive upon the earth, and they'll come to eat you. People say, that's crude. Well, it's true. I've said some things I told when I was preaching on how Israel ate their children. One woman come up and said, I have never heard that before. That nearly made me sick when you said saying that. I said, I didn't say that. God said, I'll make you eat your children. And they did. He would have them go into a siege. A siege was where the cities were surrounded. And the uh, whoever is attacking Israel, is attacking Jerusalem, they'd have a siege around them, just build a wall of army around them, wouldn't let any food go out or come in. And then as their children started dying, they started cooking them and eating them and that's the truth and I've had people say I never heard that before that's because you never heard your preacher a preacher that read the Bible very much now look here in Matthew 24 Matthew 24 he's talking about all the signs of his coming Uh, nation rising against nation wars and rumors of wars many will come saying I am Christ the love of many waxing cold the abomination of desolation that's not what people say The abomination of desolation has to do with the sacrifice and the oblation ceasing. Well, not in a literal temple, like I said earlier, because those sacrifices were blotted out. In what temple would the sacrifice cease? In this temple right here. And no, you're not your body. is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we give our bodies a living sacrifice. You won't be allowed to do that because you won't be able to go out and witness and tell people the truth. So they'll stop the sacrifice, and the oblation was the bread offering. We, being many, are one bread and one body, won't be able to feed on the Word of God. They'll just lock us up, put us in a cell somewhere, and say, You can't talk to anybody in here. I don't know how it'll happen, but it will happen because the Bible says so. And he goes on down here to say, Verse 27, same thing he said in Luke 17. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west. It doesn't say he's coming out of the east. It says as
0: it shines from the east to the west, which is all the way around the world. And also, and
1: shineth east to west, also shall the coming, the parousia, the physical arrival of the Son of Man be. Don't believe people are seeing him anywhere. He says that prior to this. Nobody is seeing Jesus in a private conversation. No one is having a, a private audience with him at night in their bedroom. Your grandmother's lying through her teeth if she says that. Either that or she's been smoking something. For who, wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Same thing. Look back over here in the ninth chapter of
0: Ezekiel. The Lord's prophesying the end of time over here. Ezekiel 39. Talking about the end of all things. Sometimes there's just so much to sound this, I just skip around and show you. All right. It's talking about at the end
1: when God destroys the Babylonian system. Verse 17 And thou, Son of Man, Thus saith the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl, to every beast of the field, and assemble yourselves, and come, and gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice, that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice, upon the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You remember Jesus said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. That means to partake in a sacrifice. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of the rams and lambs and of goats and bullocks, all of them fatlings of Bashan. And ye shall eat fat till ye be full and drink blood till ye be drunken of my sacrifice, which I have sacrificed for you. Now, I've been talking about how every one of these Old Testament prophets are prophesying about the end of time they're either prophesying about one of two things every one of them is prophesying about the church the new testament church which is spiritual Israel we're circumcised with a circumcision made without hands spiritual Israel or they're prophesying about the end and how it's going to come about the end comes At the end. I keep saying this. I
0: don't know why preachers can't understand this. You got seven trumpets. A trumpet was a voice. To signal something. In
1: Revelation. Eight. Nine.
0: And ten. You got. The
1: first four trumpets sound in chapter eight, four trumpets. The fifth trumpet sounds in nine. That's about the scorpions and the locusts coming out of the place of no knowledge. It doesn't say bottomless pits pit, a place of no knowledge. In chapter ten in verse seven,
0: the last trumpet sounds last trumpet sounds, the seventh one sounds seventh trumpet sounds and the same time it sounds the mystery of God is the church mystery, church
1: the reason it is called the mystery of God is because mystery is the word in musterion, m-u-s-t-e-r-i-o-n it means what is unrevealed
0: It means it's a secret, except to certain people. Mystery
1: is the word musturian. It comes from muo, meaning to
0: shut the mouth. So, and we get the word mute from that. So we have
1: to, the mystery, the only people that know the mystery are the elect of God. God has a mystery, He reveals Himself. Reveal is the exact opposite of mystery. apocalypto to take off the cover, to take off off with the calupto the cover. That's the word revealed, and it's also the basic word revelation.
0: Apocalypse. Or we say apocalypse apocalypse people talk about
1: revelation it's an apocalypse it's hazy it's no it's not how can you have a mystery revealed and it's hazy and smoky it's not you just have to know the meaning of the words a scorpion was a false teacher in the middle east i had a fellow call me from vanderbilt one day and he said i was out here in a class talking to an arab and he said they call uh, con artists and liars over there in the Middle East—they call them scorpions. I uh, said so we knew that. Thank him for
0: verifying what we knew. So, all these these people back
1: here—they're called prophets. And we read the other day in First Samuel, the tenth chapter, that they were called seers. A seer was one who could see the future. Every if you study any of the prophets, you have to study them from the viewpoint of metaphoric
0: figures of speech. It's metaphor. If you leave off metaphor and you try to make
1: gosh, I'm trying want to go more places. In the book of Zechariah, the the 14th chapter, it talks about the eyes of men are going to be hollow and burnt out. Well, it just means they can't see. It doesn't mean uh, this is a nuclear explosion. Look, let me show you this real quick. Go to Zechariah. Everything in Zechariah is talking about the coming of the Lord. It's hard for people because they won't look at these things figuratively, idiomatically. When you see here in uh, verse 12, it's talking about when God is going to fight for Jerusalem. You have to look at the time factors going on. He says here in verse 12, chapter 14. And this shall be the plague. He's telling you it's a plague. What were the four judgments of God? The sword. The famine. The pestilence. A pestilence is a plague. It's a plague. And then. Sword, famine, pestilence and a beast. Beast. Well it's not talking about the beast coming here. It's talking about a pestilence the plague, wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Wow. You have to know when this is being said to understand what it's talking about. This is being
0: talked about. This is in Zechariah. Zechariah and Haggai We're talking about re- getting back busy this
1: was in this was in the look over here in the first chapter and then we'll go back over to the fourteenth chapter in the eighth month in the second year of Darius that's not hard to figure out. Darius was ruling as the as the Persian monarch. He started ruling in five twenty two B.C. The second year of Darius would be five twenty. How many times have I said that Zachariah, and Haggai, were commissioned by God in Ezra, the fifth chapter to tell Israel to get back busy building the house of God, because they had quit. If you don't know that, you don't know how to read Zechariah. They had quit building. Why? Well, in 539
0: B.C., the Persians overthrew the Babylonians. And they began to rule
1: where the Babylonians were ruling, ruling Israel. In 538 B.C.,
0: the the Persian king Cyrus
1: gave the first decree to rebuild the temple of God that had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. He gives the first decree in 538. They get so much flack. Here they are over here in Israel. Here's Israel. Mediterranean Sea. Here's Egypt down here. Sinai Peninsula. And then right above Israel is Tyre and Sidon or what we call Lebanon.
0: Lebanon. And And Cyrus comes in and overthrows uh, Babylon, who had
1: carried southern Judah away, go into Babylon and overthrow Babylon. And when they overthrow when they overthrow Babylon, they give a decree for Israel that's in captivity to come back over here to rebuild the temple that had been just Raised, R-A-Z-E-D, means to level to the ground. So they're told to rebuild the temple, and they start here in 538. In 516, not 516, 536 B.C. 536 B.C. They catch so much flack that they stop building. Until 520, that second year of Darius, that's when God called Zechariah and Haggai to get after the people. You cannot study Zechariah unless you know what his job was. Look over here in, I'll come back to this in a minute. Look over here in uh, in Ezra, Ezra the
0: 5th chapter. Gosh, I'm wandering all over the place, ain't I? I need to settle down. One guy said, "You go everywhere." I said, "Yeah, I tried to." Ezra, John,
1: Ezra, Nehemiah, Ezra, the fifth chapter. This is where they entered the scene. Ezra is where. Ezra was a descendant of, of Aaron, the high priest. He was a high priest. And Ezra gives the first decree in that first chapter that's given by Cyrus to rebuild the temple. And in the fifth chapter, they've quit building by this point in 5 and 1. Then the prophets Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. And they prophesied to him and tell him to get back busy building the temple. They had The temple had lied dormant for, for two years. And when you get into the book of Haggai. And you're reading in the first chapter. And he's. I've heard. Let me tell you what I've heard the Pentecostals
0: say. It's just nutty. Just crazy. And. And. Uh, Haggai,
1: he's the partner with Zechariah, telling the people to get back busy building the temple. Okay, let me get back to Haggai. I'll get it here in a minute. Y'all hold on with me. All right, Haggai. That's why when Haggai says what he says, he says here in in verse three. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, saying. Is it time for you, O ye, that dwell in your sealed houses and uh, this house lie waste? See, God wants you to have nice houses and nice homes and sealed houses. Oh, that's what the Pentecostals have said. It's dumb. You're dwelling in your houses and my house is leveled to the ground. Get busy. That was Haggai's job. If you don't know that, you don't even know what he was there for. You don't know what Zachariah's there for. Haggai prophesied for about three months. And Zechariah prophesied for about two years. They were there just to tell the people, stop sitting around. Well, what does that have to do with us over here? That was a shadow. What's the house of God over here?
0: In the New Testament. Christ is the son of his own house. Whose house are we, right? Remember the word build? And edify? Edify? They're the same word. Same word.
1: O-I-K-O-D-O-M-E-O. Oikos means house, or building, or family. Dome is the word dome. But it simply meant roof. When they finished the roof, they said the house was finished. What is it that builds the house of God that would meet the qualifications over here of being the very image of this where Zachariah and Haggai tell them to get busy building God's house. Follow
0: God's instruction. Agape. L- charity. Edify. In 1 Corinthians 8 and 1. 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 says, knowledge puffs up.
1: If all you have is knowledge and you're not doing anything with it, phusio, p-h-u-s-i-o-o, phusio, puffs up, that's the word puff, means conceit. If all you have is knowledge and you're not doing anything with it, and then it puts in opposition
0: to knowledge, charity charity is agape agape is walking in the commandments of
1: god isn't it second john 6 walk in god's commandments in the commandments well when you have knowledge you got one
0: thing you got it in your head agape you have to have the knowledge and you have to be doing it And that's what builds
1: up oikodome, oikodomeo.
0: Oikodomeo is the word build or edify. Oikodomeo. I'll get it right in a minute. Oikodomeo
1: means the house roof. It means a finished building. Well, that would equate with this shadow over here, Haggai and Zechariah saying, Get busy building the house of God. i got a woman asking me things on Zechariah. I can't give you the end of the book without giving you the first part of the book. Every one of them are talking about, all these prophets are talking about the New Testament Israel.
0: If you go go back over to Zechariah. If you look at that verse
1: 12, you can't say this is a nuclear explosion. First of all, it's just like I've said about Revelation. I want to say the same thing about this right here. I've said in Revelation, when you look at the first chapter, it's funny what these preachers say, what these so-called doctors of theology say. You get into the first chapter of revelation now let me show you something here how ridiculous men are in their thinking especially people who call themselves scholars like Jack Van Eppie and Hal Lindsey stuff they say is dumb you know what it takes it takes what I'm doing here it takes analysis analyzing every one thing against another The same thing in Zechariah, that 12th verse, 14th chapter, 12th verse, is kind of like what the Bible is saying here in verse 3 of chapter 1 of Revelation. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for it is at hand. You're going to read the book of Revelation, understand it, and Jack Van Epy says that the locust are like scorpions and scorpions are helicopters <laughs> that, that's so funny first of all how could you read and understand this in the first century how could you read and understand it in 1000 AD if these scorpions were helicopters you couldn't understand the helicopters. Helicopters weren't invented till the nineteen twenties. Somewhere about that, the first helicopter was invented. So you can't understand the book of Revelation if the scorpions are helicopters because they hadn't been invented when it was written. Right? You understand what I'm saying? That couldn't any more be a over there in Zechariah. The twelfth verse cannot be a nuclear explosion. They wouldn't know what in the world he was talking about. The people is reading it back then, would they? When he says, And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Who's fought against Jerusalem? Jerusalem has fallen by the edge of the sword. They're led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem is trodden down of the Gentiles until the Gentile rule over Israel is finished. Gentiles didn't quit ruling Israel till 1948. And we're not even talking about spiritual Israel. I have to differentiate between the two, but I've got to teach a whole series to differentiate between it. And their flesh shall consume away while they stand on their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes and in their tongue, shall consume away in their mouth, and Hal Lindsey will say that is a nuclear explosion. Now, how could those people read this and think it? The Bible says it was a plague at the beginning of the verse, doesn't it? It's a plague. All it's saying is these people can't see the truth. God sent the plagues just like he sends the fire in Revelation, the 16th chapter, and sends the fire fireful men and they curse God for the heat. You have to stay Figurative. If you don't do that, you can't understand what's going on. Now, how much time do I have, Mike? Eight. Eight. I'm not getting to where I was going. Let me just show you some things about Zechariah. All through here, you have to understand, Zechariah, the fourth chapter is about the candlesticks and the two olive trees And the two olive trees are the two witnesses in Revelation, the 11th chapter. And the Bible says these two olive trees in verse 14 are the two anointed ones that stand before God of the earth or that represent God in the earth. What are the two that were anointed in the Old Testament? The priest and the king. He hath made us priests and kings. So if the two olive trees are the two that represent God in the earth, that's the priest and the king. That's us. That's just simple analysis. I've had people say, who do you think the two witnesses are? you think it's Moses and Elijah? No. It's us. We're the priests and the king. How are we priests? We offer our bodies a living sacrifice. When Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you give your bodies a living sacrifice. No one could offer sacrifice in the Bible unless they were a priest. And he hath made us priests and kings. What do kings do? They declare righteous judgment. Look not at the outward appearance. John 7, 24. will judge righteous judgment. And let me show you something else here. So through here he says the seven candlesticks are the eyes of the Lord. There in verse 10. He says the seven candlesticks in Revelation one twenty is the church. Is the refined church. So they're the same thing. The seven candlesticks are. And the priest and the king, that's the church. And then you flip on over here. He's talking about the branch in verse 12 of chapter 6. Speaking to him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch. You notice they capitalized it because it's a future reference to Christ. I am the vine, you are the branches, the true vine was the root and the branch bears the fruit what fruit apples and oranges no fruit of the spirit love joy peace long-suffering generous meekness goodness faith against such there is no law Galatians five twenty two. and then
0: it, and look over here in in chapter 7
1: Verse 4, then came the word of the Lord of hosts unto me. Then came the word of the Lord. Who was the word of the Lord? Jesus. Jesus, wasn't it? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by the word, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word was Jesus. Oh, yes, the word is his name there in Revelation, the 19th chapter, isn't it? Abonis, his thighs his name, which is the word of God. And you're going to find Zechariah and Ezekiel constantly saying, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, That's Jesus before he was incarnate, before he was carnal man. But when he was incarnate, he was the word. And then he says on down here, he verifies the 70 weeks of Daniel. In verse 5, speak unto this people of the land and to the priests, saying, when ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even these those 70 years did ye all fast unto me, even to me. Well, this has to be right. It. They were carried away in 586 B.C. He starts prophesying in 520 B.C., uh, Zechariah does, and in 516 the temple is finished. That was exactly 70 years, and he speaks about those 70 years right here, and he speaks about the
0: 70 years in the first chapter. He says in the first chapter, he says in the first chapter,
1: then the angel of the Lord, verse 12, answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah? against which thou hast had indignation these three score, 60, 10, and 10 years, 70 years. And that's the years that God put Israel into Babylon before he brought them back. And 516 was when they finished the temple. That was the 70 years. And when you look over here in, look here in chapter 8, Gosh. I was jealous for Zion. Zion is the mountain where
0: Jerusalem sits. Zion. But Zion, being Jerusalem, never gets straight. From this time
1: that he's prophesying in 520, when Zechariah's prophesying, anything he says in this book... He sent around 520 to 518.
0: Then you come to 457 56 where
1: the third decree is given. Israel hasn't got back over there and finished everything up yet. And then you go to 444 BC
0: and that's when the temple the decree
1: to build not the temple the decree to rebuild Jerusalem was given in the second chapter of Nehemiah Nehemiah 2 rebuild city and then shortly after that you're around 393 well the temple was finished up 12 years later Zechariah was over there I'm not zachariah uh I started to say something, forgot what it was. twelve years later, Nehemiah finishes building the temple, so you're down to three thirty three forty two not three forty two three thirty I'll get it right in a minute four thirty two down to four thirty two b c you're not far away from Malachi, the last prophet in Israel. And Israel hasn't straightened out yet. 432. Malachi comes along about 393. And then you got 400 years of silence. And Israel hasn't straightened out yet. And then when Jesus comes, they crucify him. And in literal Jerusalem is called Sodom and Egypt when they crucify Jesus. And Israel was carried all over the world until May 14, 1948. And they still haven't repented. So when he says here, in this chapter, he says in verse 3, Thus saith the Lord, I am to return unto Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth. That's not literal Jerusalem. They're referred to in the 11th chapter of Revelation as Sodom and Egypt. That has to be talking about heavenly Jerusalem, the church of the firstborn. We're come to Mount Zion, which is a spiritual Mount Zion, there in the twelfth chapter of Hebrews. These men are prophesying the church. Am I out of time? I got much more to say on this. You've got Jesus. Hands being pierced
0: over here. In verse 10 of chapter 12. And I will pour upon the house of
1: David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The spirit of grace and supplication. That ain't never happened yet on literal Israel. It's the church it's talking about. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced.
0: You have to take everything figurative in these prophets. If you don't,
1: you'll never see anything. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth. Help us open this book to us so we can
0: see the figurative language in it. Thank you for truth. Please to you elect. We'll praise you for everything glorify you for what you do in christ's name we pray amen all right we're done i hope you can get a hold of the figurative meaning of these things what are you doing there brother what's going on with you man the greatest teacher i've known how you doing? How you getting along? Huh? What are you doing? You teach what? Barbering. Oh, you're an instructor in what? Yeah, oh, in barbering. Oh, barbering? Yeah. Oh, you're teaching them guys how to barber? Where? At the chef's department